Hi there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to today's episode of the Strategy in Leadership podcast. My name is Anthony Taylor. In this podcast, we interview senior leaders and thought leaders to get their best practices on leading teams, creating and executing strategy, and fostering the culture within an organization that works. My guest today is Ryan Walter. Ryan has been a consultant and practitioner for over 20 years in Fortune 500 companies, and today he runs his own advisory company called Perils. Ryan, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on today. Oh, I'm really excited. I know when we uh, first got connected, I we looked at your profile and got to chat a little bit, and it was really, really cool hearing about all of your experience in you know, big organizations, startups, consulting. So um, maybe you can tell our listeners a little bit about your background and, and what you like about strategy and execution. Sure. Thank you. Well, as you said, it's been a little bit of a journey. Uh, probably seems more exciting now that it's all behind me than it was at times during the adventure. But Like you said, over the past 20 years, I've been blessed to work with a number of organizations, both as a consultant, helping other organizations transform and change. And and as you can imagine, a lot of that was happening as things such as the internet were really coming into form. So we were going through a lot and special uh, times. And so being there for that was, was great and to help a lot of those organizations on the journey. At the same time, I've you know, I had the pleasure to work with a couple of organizations internally, brought in specifically to help them both grow and leverage their scale globally, implement, you know, cross-organizational strategies that really had stymied in the past. And it's always really been a passion of mine to help get someone from A to B, that journey and how you go about doing it and all the the art form that goes into it is, is just always really excited me. So, like I said, I've been blessed to uh, go along that path uh, for a number of years and i um, really happy to talk to you a little bit about it today. People who do this type of work do it because it's a passion and we know how rewarding it is at the end of it, whereas going through it can sometimes be a challenge. So, you know, I guess my first question is, since you had a depth and breadth of experience, both, you know, Fortune 500 to, to start up and helping, you know, organizations create their, you know, do the go through like a strategy overhaul, if you would, what would you say are the similarities and the differences between the larger organizations versus the smaller ones? Would you say that by and large, they're dealing with the same challenges or are there key differences that you've seen in your experience, you know, supporting people through that? that transformation and that growth? No, that's a great question. I would say they're definitely both. In all cases, when it comes to, you know, the implementation of strategy, they encounter similar challenges around where they're trying to go. And part of that is because within any organization past one person, we all have our own individual responsibilities. We're focused in finance or with our clients or whoever it might be. And being able to move ourselves up and out of that uh, to see across the company we're in and how what we're going to do impacts them is difficult. Uh, So every organization faces that. I would say as you get larger, it gets exponentially harder (laughs) because there's just more people involved. The number of touch points increases and and so forth. But what's common uh, and what I've seen be really critical in, in all cases is being able to paint the picture in words that everyone understands 
of where you're trying to go. Um, and that's not as easy as I think many people think it would be because everyone, again, is coming from a different perspective. Everyone views success a different way. So whenever you start, whatever you're doing, being able to get the point across of, look, we're trying to get here. It'll look something like this. We're trying to accomplish this. We want to you know, do it within our, our culture. We don't want to you know, break certain rules. That's common where, wherever you are. Where it then begins to get perhaps more challenging as you get larger is, again, the number of people you interact with and just uh, the, the establishment and maybe some of the risk aversion you run into. The larger, more uh, established organizations obviously have to uh, remain a bit more risk averse in a number of things that they do. So, you know, the inherent red tape we always hear or the hurdles that are thrown up tend to get in the way. I think with smaller organizations, if you have folks on board, you're able to at times move faster. And part of that is just, you know, you can make a decision and make it happen right away. You don't need to necessarily build consensus across the board. So that's kind of where I would compare and contrast a little bit of that experience from both the smaller startup to say, you know, large Fortune 500 companies. Hmm. So that makes sense. I mean, in my experience as an entrepreneur and consulting businesses, I relate to entrepreneurs or even entrepreneurially minded owners as like a small sailboat. You know, you're very nimble so you can make changes quickly, which is both an asset and a detriment because entrepreneurs love distract, getting distracted by that shiny object. But then, you know, the bigger organizations are like oil tankers that they require the coordination and intricate like communication within the organization to be able to make a small movement because it requires dragging so many people along. So as a listener, you know, wherever you're at in the process, I hope you find something in this conversation, whether you're at that younger stage or you're more established, you know, large thousand person organization that you can take and execute using your strategy. So Ryan, Given that we have that difference between the small businesses and the big businesses, you mentioned that it's exponentially harder to get that transformation, that strategy execution going for the larger businesses. So in addition to painting that picture of success, what would you say is the solution, if it were to be so simple, the solution for managers, leaders who are wanting to create that transformation, move that strategy along, whether they're in the C-suite or, you know, maybe a, a secondary middle management, something like that. They want strategy to start taking hold. They see that they need to make changes. What are some of the things you would recommend to them to, to start putting in place in terms of structures or processes? Absolutely. I think that's probably one of the most common questions I hear as well. Part of the reason is most of us aren't in a position to snap our fingers and, and, and make things happen. Wherever It's because wherever we sit in the organization, and quite honestly, even in large organizations, rarely do you get the CEO, even the CEO to you know, snap their fingers and something happens. Um, there is a need to build consensus, take into account what others are doing. And so as a result, everybody faces this. I think when you, know, you want to move the ball and move the needle. Part of that is understanding what does this mean to everybody else and what's in it for them. So starting to think through a little bit of empathy. Okay, if I'm trying to move this from here to there, who's impacted by this? Uh, what does it mean to them? How might they interpret it versus what I'm intending it to be? Because again, they might look at the world through a different lens. So one of the things I 
would encourage someone to do is start thinking about, again, who are those constituents, those stakeholders that would be impacted and just start talking with them. Find out about what else is going on. What would something like this look like to them? Might it run into uh, other problems uh, that perhaps they have? Because I think that's really critical because down the road, outside of these situations where people snap their fingers, you're looking for consensus building. You're looking to bring people, to use your example, onto the boat with you to take the journey. So by yourself, you're not tilting at windmills. If you can bring more and more people on the journey where they understand the value, they'll be your advocates and they can stand behind you. That's really critical. The other thing, you know, when you can then build that consensus is you're able to help them understand how the benefit can support their own goals and where that'll drive them. So what then occurs is you have the goodness, the cycle of goodness, where within their own organizations, they're trying to move things along in the same direction. And so I think that's always just something to keep in mind that, you know, trying to go out, do it on your own and not thinking there's going to be this need to really bring others along is uh, can, can lead you down a bad path. The other thing I would suggest is remember folks just don't like change. (laughs) And that doesn't mean we shouldn't change, but it does mean that no matter what you recommend, there will probably be some friction. So as you do this, there are opportunities to move along incrementally. And that's important for a number of reasons. I think if you can find ways to instead of saying we want to be this, and that means this gigantic thing for over 18 months, and then we'll be here, and you know we've made a 90 degree turn, and isn't it great? Well, you know we don't necessarily know what's going to happen across the that process. We don't know what we're going to learn. We don't know what we're going to encounter. If you can embed smaller incremental changes that both one allow you to learn and adjust if you need to, two are actually easier to digest for people because you're not talking one gigantic change. And I think three gives people a sense that they have some input or influence into the process. That's really important as well. I think if you can embed, you know, that kind of thinking as well as really working to build up the consensus and advocacy within the organization, you know, you, you can get off to a good start. That doesn't solve every problem, but it definitely provides much more of a strong foundation as you proceed forward. Hmm, that's awesome. So I'm going to summarize that, but my next question is going to be, do you have uh, like a case study or any sort of examples of, of how you've done that practically that you can disclose without sort of breaking anybody's confidentiality? So I'll, I'll let you think about that. But, you know, what I heard in, in what you, you shared there is not everybody is in a position to make change. And some people are exactly in a position to make change. But everybody has to go through the same process of getting consensus, getting alignment, you know, and, and some of the approaches that you've used really being empathetic to the other people, asking what's in it for them, talking to your stakeholders, anybody who seems to be impacted by this, aligning their problems or the, you know, their problems with the problems of the plan and having them become advocates to what you're hoping to accomplish. One of the partners I work with in a consulting practice, you know, she says you have to be politically astute. And, you know, some people don't like the 
we'll call it the politics of business. And, you know, that's a way to look at it. But I believe from what you said is really just like creating a coalition of people that stand to benefit from this. But also it, it involves being a leader and saying, well, do you want to go on this journey with me? And, and what would have you do that? You know, I have another CEO that I work with and ahead of a board meeting. She started talking to her, you know, the incoming chair and a couple people and started planting the seed of, hey, you know, what would success look like for you in the future? You know, how can I support that as your CEO? And so when they got into the meeting, they already had those conversations happening. So it wasn't like, boom, this thing came out of the blue. The process had already been started, which speaks to your second part, which is doing the things incrementally because people don't like change. So if you if it gets positioned as something dramatic, even if it's good, people will resist it or good for them. So really presenting it as little steps forward, checking with people all the way, making it digestible, like you said. And then, you know, from a practice standpoint, that's why we recommend weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual strategy check-ins so, so that you can both see the change affect the change and celebrate the changes that are happening so that you make sure you don't lose anybody along the journey. So I don't know if that summarizes what you said, but that's what I heard out of what you shared. I think, no, you did a great job summarizing it. And actually one thing you said reminded me of something, and that is you, you talked about the individual who came in and asked, how can I help you? I think that really gets to the point. Sometimes it's not even about the idea it might just be the wrong time. And I think that's something to keep in mind because in the end, if you get a no, perhaps today, you still can be working to build the constituency up. You still can be working to build the plan up. You still can be working to get all of this together so that when you come back at it again, maybe you've learned a little something else or the times have changed or for whatever reason, we're out of a bad quarter, the time may be right. So it's not as if you should look necessarily at a no as a hard no. In fact, some great advice I got early on in my career was, I'm not saying it's not a bad idea. It's just a bad idea now. It might be a good idea in three months. So I think along with that is with the time, don't let frustration go along with it. Because like most things, it may just come down to the right time in the right place. That's that's a really interesting perspective because I think sometimes when you're going through that process, it can get really frustrating when things don't go as planned and sometimes it's easy to assume why it's not working or what's not happening or why people don't want what you're doing. And I think that the you know, I opt for greater information and asking people versus assuming and that wrong time thing is I think I would have missed that, to be frank. So that's a really cool, uh, really cool share there, right? That's awesome. So any, given all of the experience that you have and, and going through these processes, are there any stories that you can share or even a, a small snippet of? Oh, definitely. Um, and, I'll, and I'll protect the innocent for anyone who, who may be hearing this, who remembers some of these. A um, number of years ago, I was uh, brought in to an organization, and one of the primary things they had thought about was taking this collection of basically 80 to 100 business units that had been acquired over time, but were really left to themselves. They wanted to keep the entrepreneurial spirit, but in essence, have an umbrella organization over top. And for a while, that was fine. Uh, but like most things, eventually, you want to start uh, extricating greater value, uh, opening up new opportunities, and a lot of that comes from things such as scale and you know bringing people together versus working 
in your 80 to 100 silos. But interestingly enough, we didn't have the, you know, the CEO sign off to say, I will stamp this, go and just, you know, make it happen and we'll put it on the two tablets with the Ten Commandments. So what that meant was while there was an interest in moving forward, they didn't want to break the culture of these organizations. So I had to come up with an approach that would allow us to uh, begin heading down the path of providing this kind of new shared global service to the entire organization and our customer base. What I found was key there, and I could, I could go on for hours and I'll give you the uh, Reader's Digest summary, was first, there was actually a lot of underlying angst with the corporate structure. They felt uh, corporate is always coming in. You're telling us what to do. And in fact, I remember walking into an office once and the CFO threw an eraser near me, not at my head, but near my head, basically saying in in a joke, every time you guys come in here, you tell us what to do and you have no idea how it's impacting our business. And I turned around and I said, I don't have a mandate to do anything. I'm not going to tell you how to do anything. I'm here to help you. I'm hoping what I'm here to talk about will provide some assistance and support and allow you to focus on higher value activities. I think by taking that sort of servant approach and problem solver approach and how can I help you approach versus here's what we're doing, even though I probably knew where we were going, was important. Allowing the flexibility then to, within the process, let people kind of choose how they'd opt in for a little while because I knew, quite honestly, we'd have to prove success. We'd have to build on top of it. I always called it our gobstopper model where, you know, we started with a tiny core of things we did. And over time, as we had success and more people came on board, we could add more and add more. The trust was there. We could show the value and the savings. And as a result, you know, we got it to a pretty significantly sized organization that was running a whole lot of, you know, service and capabilities, both internally and externally for the organization. And towards the end, they couldn't have lived without us. But that was a number of year journey. If you looked at where we started, it was eight people, not several thousand, where we got to at the end. And along the way, we were changing because we'd learn something new. And we'd also learn, well, we don't want to break how these businesses operate because some of what they do is their value. So how can we build in some flexibility? How can we learn from where we are um, and put it in place? I think that was critical to the success of what we had. If you had interviewed me at the beginning and said, where do you think you'll be in three years? And then looked at where we were, I don't think we were within a galaxy of each other at the end, but the solution was the right one for the organization. Uh, And that to me is what the most important thing was. Not that it was the solution I envisioned it to be three years earlier. It was the right solution within the parameters of the strategy to both respect the culture of the organization and the individuality of our business units, but also, you know, find the savings enable the reuse of capital, open up new development and new, new opportunity, it allowed us to do that. So it achieved the two major goals within the parameters we were given, which to me was really the exciting result. That's, you know, that's the artwork and the challenge and why I love to do it, because you don't necessarily know where you're going at the beginning of the journey. 
like your boat, you know, most likely your end result is somewhere over the horizon. It's there to the east, but you're not really sure. So the fun is actually getting there and figuring out how you avoid the waves or, you know, avoid a squall and so forth. So you make it there in one piece. Well, I'm going to ask you about what waves to avoid within that process. But, you know, what I heard about that, especially, you know, walking in, whether you're a new employee, because I know that we have a lot of CEOs that that are in new leadership roles. And one of their first mandates is, hey, let's get in there and get a strategic plan. And what we found as well is really acknowledging what makes the organizations unique, what makes them successful, you know, keeping that stuff. And maybe discarding some of the, the le- other stuff. And when I say discard, I just mean like keep what serves you and leave what doesn't. And really allow people to opt in however they want. And, you know, said another way is have them rethink it was their idea. Even if you have an idea of what it is, you know, let them discover it. And that's why I as a consultant and I imagine you as well, Ryan, you know, really take the, I'm not going to really tell you anything. I'll tell you some things, but uh, it's the value will be in you discovering what there is for you to discover in terms of what's relevant to the organization so that it becomes your plan and not as a consultant, my plan so that you can move that forward. And then also coming in with what it sounds like was a proven structure or at least a hypothesis of a structure to make those incremental changes and then to keep those lines of communication open so that everybody is is part of the process and, and engaged in creating that new, that new future for the organization. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I think, you know, I'd probably call it tailoring, you know, the solution to what you hear. Organizations have things within their culture that define who they are that, in essence, are third rails. You probably want to avoid doing that unless you feel it's a really toxic part of the culture. And then there's parts of organizations or activities within organizations that are the differentiators that make them competitively viable or, you know, really move the needle and you've got to be careful with those. But then there's a lot of areas where if you look and you say, okay, it's, it's happening, but if it was done differently or not done at all, it doesn't impact value. And in fact, it probably opens you up to do more valuable things, more interesting things. And that was a lot of the process we went through, which was, I'm not saying I don't want you to run your business unit. You would do this much better than I do. I actually want to give you more time to sell. I want to give you more time to build new product. I don't want you to worry about whether at two in the morning you got to get on a phone call with someone for something you really can't solve yourself anyway. I think if you can, again, that you go back to something we talked about earlier where you empathize, you put yourself in the shoes of the person and you're building in from the onset that flexibility to adjust as you go through based on what you learn or maybe to the politically astute point, what is politically astute in your answer, then you're much better set up for success. And it is the proverbial stone down the hill because you get more and more people on board, more and more people supporting you. And eventually, now you've got a lot of consensus and support and the folks who aren't ready to get on board actually look like the ones who are holding things back. And not that you necessarily want to create an us versus them, but I think we kind of all understand where that ends up. So yeah, you um, absolutely hit the nail on the head with your comment there. Thanks. Well, the other thing that I don't know that would like just to reiterate is the culture piece. Because, you know, I recently went into an organization and, you know, trying to say, hey, what does that success look like for you? And almost there was a 13 people in this very successful organization. And they said, you know, money is what, isn't what drives us. 
and it's a for-profit organization. And it was just so interesting that like, if I had kept saying, Hey, you know, what is important to you money-wise? Like, I think it's an important component of a for-profit business, but it was so anti-culture because they were such a creative business that it was very uh, challenging to be able to, to drive that forward. I think culturally that needs to transform, or I see it as an opportunity to transform, but they have to discover that because if they don't, I think it's going to be one of the things that gets in the way of their growth if they want to do that. And if they don't want to do that, then that's totally cool from a culture alignment perspective coming from outside and really acknowledging the inside. So we talked a little bit about what that future is. We talked about getting people on board. We talked about how to have the right time and have people changing. You know, I know a lot of people are motivated by gain and I know a lot of people are motivated by fear. So what are some of the risks to avoid that if you're going in one of these situations, you want to, uh, you know, avoid at all costs or, you know, just like it's going to hurt if you stumble across it. What are two or three risks that you would avoid through this process? Oh, that's a great question. I have always found that when I've either come into a situation or I've even just been an outside observer, there's always a lot of time spent on the announcement. We're going to get everybody together. We're going to put all this time together. And then we're going to tell everybody about what's coming. Here's how we're going to be great. And here's how things are going to change. And what happens is all that time's put into that, but then what they don't realize is you need so much more to now make it happen. And part of that is it's the iceberg theory, right? The, the 10% we see above the water and the 90% below really gets down to the fact that you've got all these humans working within your organization who have different motivations, different perspectives, and you can't assume they all get it. You can't assume just because you said it that they understand what you mean. So I think... For me, one of the real key risks is if you go in thinking, I've given the message and they all get it and they all know what we're going to do. Because in the end, probably they don't. Most likely, whether it's they're, they're worried about their day-to-day or they don't see it from your perspective looking across the organization, they see it within you know the four walls of the office they sit in, it's hard for them to then make daily decisions to move in the same direction you want everyone to go. So I think, you know, this is where you get back to the what's in it for me and you get back into the concept of when you communicate this, you've got to make sure you're communicating it for understanding, not communicating it so you can say you communicated it. That's key. Making sure you understand people get it, you know, whether you kind of build in some feedback or you bring it down to the, you know, the underlying level, I think that's key. I think the other reason that's really important is that I have found that a vacuum is almost always filled with worst case scenarios. Um, And people just, if they haven't been given information, they basically sit there and think, oh, I'm not being told stuff or I don't understand it. So therefore, you know, the world's coming to an end or they're going to lay half of us off or this means they're taking away my responsibility. Um, No one ever really seems to, have a lack of information and think, oh, this must mean I'm getting promoted. Um, but that, that energy, you know, that, that energy permeates when people start doing it. And then two or three people meet in the coffee room and they're talking about it and everybody's nervous and no one's moving in the direction you want them to move in. So really bringing people on board and making sure they understand is just critical because it's the thing from the onset and it'll impact every single step 
along the way. That to me is a huge risk. If you don't take that into account, you really need to be forewarned because I think at the end of the day, now again, it gets harder as you get bigger. And I'm not suggesting if you're in a company of 100,000 people, you can check with all 100,000 people. So I'm not giving polar opposite answers, but there has to be something built in for that. And the other thing I would say is just make sure as you're moving forward that the achievement of a result doesn't necessarily make you feel like you're done and you've accomplished it. And that's for a couple of reasons. One, results are just that. They don't necessarily tell the complete picture. People learn how to adjust to new situations. And one result may not necessarily reflect the entire uh, strategy being successful as a whole. The other thing is sometimes results are short term. And then you know, entropy sets in and people are back to the way they used to do things. So I've found people tend to have the sort of check it off the list mentality of, oh, we went live first month. Great. But we moved the number from eight to 10. I'm not thinking about that anymore. <laughs> um, and I would definitely advise that, you know, like the typical investment advice we're given, you know, uh, past and short term results don't guarantee future success. And you need to stay vigilant and keep an eye on those things because they may fall back or something new may come up that you didn't predict and now you have to adjust. So keeping an iterative process and then making sure that that communication is equally iterative so that people don't jump into that vacuum of of worst case scenario and confusion, uncertainty, even though you told them already, you may have to tell them again. Yeah. And, and because you may have told them already, they were thinking one way. Now it's three months later and uh, they may have taken their own interpretation of it. And now you have to, you know, say, Oh, remember how we told you three months ago? Well, this is, this is it, right. You know, that actually, and from my perspective, builds some credibility as well, because if you can deliver on what you say, that's important because I would wager if you talk to most employees after the big strategic announcement, most of them say, well, this is the 12th one I've sat through in the last year. It will probably end up like the rest. I'll never hear about them and nothing will change. So a lot of people I've run into tend to come at these things with a pretty skeptical eye and figure, well, I'll just wait around. And if they eventually make us move and do things, we'll do it. Otherwise, I'm just going to keep doing my day-to-day. And that doesn't really help you because at the end, you want folks bought in. You want folks moving in the same direction. You want folks making decisions in alignment with the objectives of that strategy. And so all of this really comes together. And if you're not addressing it, can impact you in just a number of different vectors. Mm, Absolutely. And it's free. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, yeah, free in the sense I mean, it takes no- it's free. <laughs> it's free, but humans tend not to want to have to explain themselves. I think often we see it as a, why should I have to say it again? I've already said it once. That's a waste of my time mindset. Um, and that I get, right? You know, if you've raised children, you've probably said the same thing to them a hundred times and you're hoping on the hundred and first time they will actually follow some instructions. But You know, in the end, it really comes down to what are you interested most in? Do you want the right results or do you want to be able to say, I did what I thought I needed to do and that's all that matters? If you're results focused, then 
if you have to say something five times, you'll say it because that's going to be what it takes to get you to the point you want to get to. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a process and building it into the process will support. And ultimately, it is if you do the strategy properly, it will allow you more time because you're empowering others to move the strategy forward. You're communicating with them so that they can do the right things. And then that way you can focus on what will have the most value for you and the organization moving forward. So really well said, Ryan. I really appreciate it. Just as we finish up here, how can uh, people get a hold of you and learn more about your uh, advisory company? Sure. If you have any questions, you're more than welcome to uh, shoot me an email. I can be reached at Ryan, R-Y-A-N, pretty straightforward, at Perils, that's P-A-R-R-E-L-S dot C-O. So Ryan at Perils dot co. Perfect. And just so everybody knows, Ryan's in the Pennsylvania area. So if anybody's around there, be sure to give him a shout. And I'm sure you have lots to chat about. So Ryan, thank you so much. I really, really enjoyed our conversation today. Lots of great practical tips and I, and I super appreciate the time. Well, again, thanks for having me on. It was a blast. My guest today has been Ryan Walter from Perils Advisory. If you have somebody in your organization that is undergoing transformative change, merging business units together, or really just trying to create a new future, please send them this podcast. Be sure to share, and I'm sure they will enjoy it. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to rate us five stars on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, or any other service that you play your podcast on. My name is Anthony Taylor. This has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. I appreciate you being here. I hope you enjoyed it. And I look forward to next time. If you're getting ready to lead the strategic planning process yourself, be sure to check out our strategic planning toolkit. It has video walkthroughs to guide you through each step in the planning process from vision to action planning. We'll also have workbooks and downloads to document your plan and best practices to help get your team bought in so the plan gets executed successfully. You can get instant access to all the tools, all the templates, and all the downloads at smestrategy.net slash course.